The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Berg, and this is the Women in Media podcast. This is kind of a surprise episode to me. The interview that you're about to hear actually was for my Sunday show on Indie 88. It's a new show that highlights singer-songwriters, roots, blues, soul, folk, and Americana musicians. Hopefully you've had a chance to check it out. It runs from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Toronto, or you can listen online at Indie88.com. But this particular conversation had so much more than just an artist telling me about their new single. So I wanted to share this conversation with my women in media audience too. This week's guest is a four-time Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, poet, activist, and multi-instrumentalist who's just announced her new album, The Returner. You may know her from bands like Poe Girl, Our Native Daughters, and Birds of Chicago. Here's my conversation with one of the strongest voices in music today. Allison Russell. Where the hell are you? You're walking. I'm walking in New York City. I am near Times Square. Tonight, I am part of the uh, National Music Publishers Association. Um, They're doing a panel tonight um, on queer representation in sync. And then I'm going to be part of presenting Brandy Carlisle, my beloved sister, uh, with her songwriting icon award tomorrow. I'll cover one of her songs so for that ceremony. And then I fly to Europe to start our UK tour that includes Glastonbury. For the first time, I'm playing Glastonbury <sighs> and Black Deer Fest. We started the Black Deer Fest, which I'm really excited about. I've never played Black Deer either. Oh, so. my God. Opening some dates for Hosier and Island. We're doing a festival in Spain. We're doing one in Copenhagen. So we're gonna. it's going to be a lovely start to the summer touring oh my goodness i'm so lucky that i got some time with you busiest woman in showbiz um i think that's brandy actually not me (laughs) (laughs) well quickly tell me about the gorge how how were the shows at the gorge yeah i mean honestly getting to open that entire historic historic event was so extraordinary i'm still processing and trying to find the words i haven't even like posted about it properly yet because it's just so overwhelming i just wrote this poem about it that that like I'm beginning the uh, usually my process starts with poetry you know to to move through something but it was extraordinary I mean that first night was beautiful getting to open at the gorge as the sun was setting on the Columbia River oh. just extraordinary and yeah. joined by my incredible kind of goddess circle Elena Kenless on the keys and Ganessa James on the bass Elizabeth Pupil Walker on percussion, Mandy Fair from Sway Wild, who's from the Pacific Northwest on guitar, and Megan Coleman on the drums. And it was her birthday that night. Oh my God. It was just like so beautiful. And then Marcus's set was exquisite. And then of course, Brandy played a, just a transcendent, absolutely transcendent set in which we got to sing Why and she brought out Annie Lennon oh. to sing. <laughs> Why? Like that was what happened night one and Sarah McLaughlin to duet with Brandy. And, you know, it was just absurdly wonderful. So that was night one. And then night two was Joni Jam. And we spent the whole day on that stage because we we rehearsed the whole run of show. And Joni came in towards the because we wanted to make sure just everything was easy for Joni. Yeah, you know, of we course. don't want yeah. any stress for Joni. And who am I sat on the couch with for the entire Joni Jam? But Annie Lennox and Sarah McLaughlin. You know, it was just like only Ali Harnell from Live Live Nation Women and I have a saying, Bob, 
which is an acronym for because of brandy <laughs> and like the most insanely beautiful magical things happen because of brandy carlisle and this was yet another one of them and honestly like joni played a three-hour set 24-hour songs we all surrounded her and backed her up joni was in charge this was the set list she picked these were the songs she wanted to present and do and she was so not even the rehearsals prepared us because she just went there was a whole other gear that she kicked into her voice opened up she was telling jokes and hilarious stories and just it was extraordinary it was such it was the gift of a lifetime I will never, never, never get over. And for this Canadian girl, Sarah McLaughlin and I were the only other two Canadians on stage with her, you know? Yeah. Were you dying? We were dying. And Sarah did the most beautiful, beautiful version of Blue, just solo on the piano, because that's part of Joni Jam. You know, it's not just singing songs with Joni or supporting Joni, but also singing her songs to her because she loves when people interpret her songs well. She doesn't like it if it's not done well, but she loves it when it's done well. And Celise did this incredible version of Help Me that she made all her own. And Joni was like, she's the woman, Jimi Hendrix. Like, it was the most. I mean, I can't. There's just not there's not enough superlatives for me to properly describe what went down. And then the third night was was the Highwaymen, which was amazing, you know, with Marin Morris and Natalie Hemby and Amanda Shires, Tanya Tucker opened the night, sat in with the Highwaymen with her beautiful daughter, Presley. Um, Brittany Spencer and I got to join them for the big finale of Redesigning Women and Crowded Table. Like, it was so joyful. It was so fun. So the whole three days was just mystical. And now I've landed in New York and the hotel had wild construction. The Wi-Fi's down. And so now you find me (laughs) pacing the streets of New York in order to do our scheduled interview. I so appreciate you making the time. It feels very intimate. It's like we're on a FaceTime. It's awesome. Yeah, totally. It's like 2020, except I'm outside. (laughs) So before we get you settled to talk about your new album, which I'm so excited about, you just made the announcement. I want to quickly touch on just the sisterhood that you're talking about. Um, If there's anything that you have learned from your time working with chosen sister Brandi Carlisle or Joni or Sarah McLaughlin, like what are the things that you've sort of learned from these amazing women? I think we're all doing the same work. What I've learned is that we gravitated towards each other because we have the same ethos, that it's about community, not competition. You know, Annie Lennox was was just sharing so much with us. When she started, there were very few women doing it and they were pitted against one another, you know, when they were. And so she was amazed by the community that we have going, you know, and and we all told her this is because of you. It's because you made it possible. Like you kicked open these doors and you inspired all of us. And you showed us that we could be ourselves on our own terms and not conform to some ridiculous prescribed notion of what womanhood is supposed to be, you know, that That we can be however we are. And that's womanhood. You know, she's so powerful still. She just glows from the inside. She radiates. And when she bursts onto that stage, it's like nothing else. She sang a version of Ladies of the Canyon to Joni. And we all were just in awe. It was like electrifying, you know. And for Joni to have Annie Lennox say to her, when I was 19 and broke and living in a basement apartment in Scotland, not even able to afford the latest, because that was back in the days when you the new record came out and you waited for it and you bought yeah. it. And Annie was talking about that. That's an experience that most people 
especially anyone under 40 will never really have in that same way, you know, because of course, it's available everywhere all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she was saying like when her roommate came home with Ladies of the Canyon, how it just changed everything for her and it galvanized her and it opened a path and why we have Annie Lennox is because she heard Joni's Ladies of the Canyon. And so I think it speaks a lot about and I think it's appropriate in, in Pride Month, Black Music Month, that great intersection to talk about how important representation actually is. It's not some PC, you know, thing. It changes lives. It changes what people think is possible for themselves. And that was like that for me hearing Joni and Tracy Chapman and Annie Lennox and Sarah McLaughlin, the first song that I ever covered publicly in Montreal. I went to this alternative school, the Misfit High School called Mind, Moving in New Directions. And we would have a monthly coffee shop. And my friend Kim Waldron was obsessed with Sarah McLaughlin. And she, you know, she exposed me to her music. And I fell in love, too, of course. She was learning guitar, but she wasn't confident as a singer. And she said, would you come and play this song with me? So talking about sisterhood, my first experience on stage was a collaboration to back up my beautiful friend Kim because she was afraid to sing, but she wanted to play her guitar. And I wanted her to have that experience. So I learned song Mary I'll never forget it like that's the first song I ever sang on stage you, you remember that one yeah Mary Watts down to the water's edge and then she hangs her head upon herself and the craziest thing I think one of the craziest things that the stories that I heard and this was backstage was Wendy Malvoen as in Wendy and Lisa as in Prince's Revolution were part of our Joni Jam and they also play on my new record <gasps> Wendy had never met Sarah and she said I've got to meet Sarah because I need to ask her something. And I got to watch this all go down, you know, behind the scenes at the rehearsal. And she went up to Sarah and said, you know, Arms of the Angels, I heard, I read somewhere in an interview that you wrote it for one of the musicians that had been in the Smashing Pumpkins that died. Is that true? And Sarah said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, you even saw that interview. But yes, that's true. And Wendy says, that was my brother. That was my <gasps> brother who died. You wrote that song for my brother. And then she oh, and Sarah wow. had this deep tete-a-tete and, and Wendy was able to tell her how healing and, and cathartic and beautiful and helpful that was for her in moving through her grief of the loss of her brother, Sarah's song was, you know, and of course yeah. it's an iconic song, but that it was specifically written about Wendy's brother and Sarah didn't even know. And then as they were talking, Wendy just affirmed for her how much she had channeled her brother's spirit and how on the nose she was you know and what she had channeled and that just I had kind of you know when you think about the power of music and the way it connects us in this case across generations across countries across everything you know it's so palpable and I think that that's what what really hit home for me was we don't need to be we don't need to treat one another in a hierarchical compartmentalized fashion you know like of course when at rehearsal and he came over and was like, oh, I'm going to have Annie and Sarah sit with you. Is that cool? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, assuming they're just friends of hers. And then it's Annie Lennox and Sarah McLaughlin. And <laughs> I had that moment of like, oh, OK, um, hi, you know, and then and then just like talking myself down of like, just be just don't be weird to them, you know, like just be cool like, to just be chill. And and of course, after the first like 10 minutes of I'm in awe, I'm, I'm sitting with icons and legends and people that I've listened to my entire artistic development then I was like oh we're just we're just women together on this couch we're just artists and not just that we're just artists and not of Joni who've all been 
influenced and moved along on our artistic path by Joni. We have this in common, you know, and that really reinforced for me like that is what the, the community continues to grow. Our circles widen, but it's a circle. It's not a toxic leaning hierarchical tower. It's circle work, you know? Yeah. And yes, some people are further along and they're sort of revolutions of what they're doing artistically, what they've achieved for themselves artistically, the way that they are recognized for that or not. But that's not what it is at its heart. It's all the same artistic impulse. And we gravitate towards each other for a reason, you know? So true. It was just so, so healing and beautiful. And it just reinforced for me that circle work is the way to go. None above, none below. Our circle is always full. And we're all equal under the listening sky. Beautifully put. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing all of that. Okay, so yeah. congratulations. Very excited to uh, hear Thank that you. you've announced your next chapter. Yes. I know how difficult it was for you to arrive at that decision to put out a solo record, Outside Child, yeah. because it was venturing into like owning your own art under your name, Correct. you know, not being Correct. a backing musician. So you've yeah. announced the follow-up and it's called The Returner. Very powerful title track. Why is it called The Returner? There are so many layers to Returner for me. And honestly, it started at Newport last year when Joni returned. And I wrote yeah. a poem about that. And I called her in the poem, I called her Our Lady Returner. And I think what it means to me is it's leaning into survivor's joy. It's leaning into the fact that there are difficult things that we all navigate and rebound from that trauma as a part of our collective human experience. None of us gets out of this life without it. And that it is not something that we have to fear, but that we in fact grow from and that galvanizes and is in some ways the mother of our all of our growth and all of our problem solving and all of our creativity is dealing with some sort of trauma or conflict or things that make us feel like we'll never be able to get back up, but we do. And then when we do, we're stronger for it, you know? And yeah. the joy on the other side of that is the fiercest, most world-shaking, changing joy that there is. And so that that's the notion of a returner. It's like about stealing joy from the teeth of turmoil. It's not about not being in conflict or everything's rosy and everything's perfect now because it, it's never, there, there, there is no magical utopia, right? What we are always, I think, moving towards, certainly what I'm always moving towards is being able to embody joy even in the midst of the most difficult situations, to celebrate that and to reduce harm thereby, to find more and more of the people that that we need to be in community with. Like we keep finding each other, you know? Yeah. Um, and it felt that way like at the Junos when we were all, the, I think that's the last time I saw you or the yeah. first time I saw you in real life was the yeah. Junos last year. Yeah. You know, and that was like, to me, so life changing to be recognized in my homeland, to be the first person of color to win the Contemporary Roots Album of the Year. But definitely, definitely not the last. Right. And, yeah. like, and there was just a joyful sense of looking around the room and saying, yes, we have all survived the pandemic. Here we are. Mm -hmm. A lot of our loved ones didn't. But here we are and we carry them forward. And part of our due diligence to carry them forward is to embody joy. We cannot allow ourselves to get lost in hopelessness or nihilism or atrophy or paralysis. You know, we've got to keep pushing to make things better for more of us.
It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And of course, it's the second record, so I'm returning in that sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's the obvious The literal. Ones, the literal ones. But and also that notion of of circle work, of of returning, of revolution, of we are always in in a work in progress, all of us. And always. we are and when we return to a place where we thought we've been, we're a new being. And so it's different. So that notion of you can return, but you can never really go back mm. to the way it once was, you know? But that's okay. You return with there are gains that we there are things that we gain in loss. You know, even though that's that's difficult as we're navigating it, we can see. And that was so much Joni. So much of what was powerful of that concert was just her delight that she survived to this old age improbably, you know, after kicking death out of her bed three times, you know. And it's really I want to read you something. I wrote this. OK, because it just felt so um this is the poem that you wrote after the weekend? It is. It is. And it's very much like the ethos of a return. So the title is Joni or Viva La Old Age, which was something she said during the show. Okay, okay. And the first stanza is all quotations. One of the things that happened during the show with Joni was that everybody lit up their cell phone flashlights, you know, to, to show their appreciation. Yeah. And that was something she had never seen. Right. Because... She hasn't performed in how long? Newport was during the day. Yeah. And this was her first headlining show in 23 years. Crazy. So (laughs) isn't that crazy? So I wrote this poem. We are fallen constellations. We have come in from the cold. We are stardust. We are golden. Just as Joni Mitchell wrote. We are everything and nothing dancing through this fever dream. We are echoes of the canyon, silence of the space between. We are gone before the next breath, a holy circle endlessly. In every ending, a beginning in new beginning, joy and grief. She has drunk the cup of kindness. She has found the child she lost, sent death from her bed unsated. She's the seeker who returns. Like hope, a thing with feathers, irrepressible, unfettered. Her old broken wings are mended. She's caught the thermal of our love. Bright halcyon, she is soaring, sees the shadows of the clouds on 20,000 strong, adoring by the river in the gorge. The illusions of the past, 
all that she has gained in loss. She is present. She is laughing. And she isn't looking back. My hair is standing on end. <laughs> but yeah, now you have another Joni-inspired song. Like that has That's to right. become a song. <laughs> it's. I think it probably will. I'm going to send it to the other Joni jammers and see if they want to work on it with yeah. me because it feels like one we need to we need to fully realize together, you know? Yeah. So in terms of collaboration, I've been reading about your Rainbow Coalition, and I know that you stand and represent this conversation all year round, doesn't matter if it's Pride Month. But yeah, I certainly love that you've now given this, you know, band of people that you love a name like the Rainbow Coalition. Can you talk a little bit about that? And the Rainbow Coalition isn't just us. I think the notion of the Rainbow Coalition goes beyond our circle. And in fact, I didn't realize it when I started calling our groups, our ensemble, our circle of of the loving and the willing and the kind of nutty enough to rove around the world together. When I started calling us that, I didn't even know this history. But the first Rainbow Coalition was in the 60s in the south side of Chicago. And it was begun by Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers when they joined hands with the Young Lords, who were the Latinx called a gang by by the powers that be, but that were trying to protect their impoverished and embattled communities. And the young patriots who were the white Appalachians who had showed up in Chicago, who at the beginning had some real kind of white supremacy trappings like Confederate flags flying everywhere. And, you know, they were all taught to fear and hate each other. But this miraculous thing happened one night at a at a kind of a church meeting um, that was addressing poverty, severe poverty in the community, lack of lack of any kind of medical care, lack of access to childcare, deserts, all of it, you know. And at this meeting, the Black Panthers showed up. The young patriots were there and the young lords were there. So the Black gang, the white gang, and the Latinx gang were all together. And I use gang very loosely because truly, the Panthers got this horribly villainized picture painted of them. But what they were really doing was community was organizing to have lunch programs, daycare programs, after school programs for kids, yoga in the schools, lunches in the schools, like all of this incredible health clinics for black moms who were being turned away for not having insurance and also just from racism, from all the hospitals, you know? Right, yeah. And and that's what that's the real work that they were doing. And they started breaking down the barriers at this little church meeting one day. And they said, look, we've already started these programs in our communities, we can help you do them in yours. Let's band together because if we band together, we can exponentially increase our resources and we can help each other and we can dig ourselves out of this pit. And that's what they did. And it was working. And they called themselves the Rainbow Coalition. And the young patriots took the Confederate flags off of things out of respect to the Panthers. And everybody moved towards each other into this circle instead of being fearful of one another. And it was working really, really well. And then Fred Hampton was assassinated. Mm. And I don't think it's coincidental that he was assassinated after the Rainbow Coalition started to work because the narrative of Panthers as dangerous and subversive couldn't be upheld when they're doing this Rainbow Coalition work. And it was really disrupting the status quo in a much needed way. And it was showing, it was highlighting that the real enemy was the severe income disparity happening in America. Yeah. Not anybody's color or gender or anything else or orientation, but income disparity. Yeah, problem that's still still with us. Yeah. I just played the Raise the Rage rally in Tennessee at Fisk University 
where Dr. King, again, came in the 60s to stand in solidarity with sanitation workers in Tennessee who were who were fighting for a, a, a living wage, yeah. doing the most dangerous work in the city at that time. And Dr. King came to Fisk and he said, I have come here not to impart inspiration, but to receive it from all of you and to stand in solidarity. You know, people forget how radical he was about ending poverty, you know, and the, the fact that Reverend Barber, Senator Bernie Sanders, and our amazing one of the Tennessee three, Representative Justin Jones of Tennessee's District 52, organized this rally. And I got a text from Justin saying, we need some freedom singers. Can you come down and sing at this thing? Yeah. And I said, hell yes, I can. And Sister Strings, Megan McCormick and I showed up and put on a set of music. And it was so inspiring. And it was, once again, a rainbow coalition of people. So the Rainbow Coalition is bigger than just us. It's all of us who are working towards greater equality and prosperity for more of us in this world who are leaning into community rather than competition, who are breaking down false narratives of fear and bigotry that keep us in violent conflict when when we need to be actually taking each other's hands. So the Rainbow Coalition is all this. You're the Rainbow Coalition. You're doing that work in everything you curate. We all are. The circle again, right? It's the circle. It's circle work. And this definitely ties in with, you know, the Love Rising All-Star Benefit, right? Yes. All the attention that you have been drawing, especially in Tennessee, to anti-trans narratives, anti-drag laws, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I lit a match because I was so, I just started reaching out wildly to everyone I knew. What can we do? How can we put on a huge show and use music, use art? make music mean more. You know, I feel really lucky to live in a city like Toronto, and I'm sure you probably think back to your days in Montreal too, but living in Tennessee, it's like an entirely different landscape. And I really admire that you still have the courage in your community to gather everyone and use voices together to fight these terrible narratives. Yeah, I feel really called to do so. You know, as a mother, as a Black queer immigrant mom living in Tennessee, having made that my home, having received many benefits from being there, the community that I've met there and the kind of the way my career has taken off since I moved there. There's been, you know, I feel a lot of gratitude. And not just that, Tennessee isn't just hateful bigotry. It isn't just the home of the KKK. It's also the home of Fisk University, where the Fisk Jubilee Singers were the first ever touring band in the world, period, in the 1800s, when they went overseas to Europe and played for Queen Victoria and she coined the term Music City in honor of them. That was 100 years before the Bristol Sessions, you know? The Fist Jubilee Singers are why Music City is Music City. And the kind of activism and circle work that they have been doing for hundreds of years, you know, not yeah. just decades, is why I feel so called to not be fearful. Highlander Center, where Sister Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King and Representative John Lewis trained was in ten is in Tennessee, continues to be in Tennessee, is now relocated outside of Knoxville and is still doing is now the Highlander Education Center and is still doing that anti-bigotry circle harm reduction work, you know, and where the Woolworths is, where it's been the heart of good trouble for a long time because fascism has been trying to rule the day there for a long time. It's the start of the Trail of Tears. It's where the horrific human rights abuser, Andrew Jackson, who should not be on our money yeah. in America. It should be Harriet Tubman. We should not be glorifying maniacal abusers. Like, no. we need, yes, he's a historical figure. And we need to talk about him. But high school kids should not be taken to his blood-soaked plantation, Bellmy. No. It's not, that is not what we should be doing. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it won't stand for long, I hope. 
you know? Yeah. But it is so important to me not to turn around because when we run from fascism, it grows. We know this. We know what happened in Nazi Germany. We are in the early stages of it in America right now and we can't turn away or it gets really ugly and really hideous. And I feel, as Woody Guthrie said, all the fascists are bound to lose. They really are and they always do. But they do so much harm when they're in ascendance. They take so many people with them and we just, we have to nip this one in the bud. And I believe we have the power to do it if we continue to grow our circle and we continue to be brave and stand together and hold one another's hands and not allow them to do the one trick that's always up their sleeves, which is to divide and conquer. It hasn't changed, you know, since feudal times. Right. And and it's no different now. And we can't fall for the same trick over and over again. It's even happening. You know, it really pains me. But here we are in Pride Month. It's even happening in our queer community where there are people even within our queer community who are turning on our trans siblings and family. And it, we can't fall for it. We can't do it. We can't do the work of the oppressors for them. And it happens everywhere. And we got to look at it when it is happening and course correct. And call it out, right? Like Call it in. Call it in. Be like, we don't have to do this. And you don't have to do this. Don't get backed into a horrible, miserable corner where I you feel that. violent and you're turned against everyone. Come back. Come back into the circle. We forgive you. You're welcome. Come back in. So... In honor of Pride Month, um, I was going to just end this interview by asking you if there are some songs that represent that you maybe would suggest, like I look up to play on my show. Maybe, you know, maybe there's songs that we've already talked about together in the past. But if you could choose, you know, a couple songs outside of The Returner for me to play and, you know, highlight Pride Month, what would you pick? All right. Let me, I've just added some new songs to my Good Trouble playlist. So let me take a look at it. So Mia Byrne, who is an amazing trans artist who's um, based here in New York, just put out a new record okay. called Rhinestone Tomboy that is gorgeous, okay. absolutely gorgeous. And I highly recommend that record. Let's see. I would say let's play um, let's play Over and Over okay. by Becca Moncari. Okay who is an amazing non-binary artist, and that is just a banger of a track. It's like a summer loving track for the queer community. Let's play okay. Lend You a Hand by Mia Byrne. Okay. Let's play Dear Insecurity by the two queer brandies from the Pacific Northwest, Brandy Carlisle and Brandy Clark, because it is an absolutely beautiful song. And let's play Pride by Joy Oladokun. Her new record is so gorgeous. She is a beautiful black queer woman that I met in Tennessee and a beautiful writer. Oh, and let's play I Am Her by Shia Diamond, Miss Shia Diamond. These are all fire for pride. As you know, like I do a podcast about women in media and I just feel like there's so much more to this interview than a commercial radio station can even handle. Are you cool with it going both places? Absolutely. Yes, you can do anything. Sarah, honestly, I am so grateful to you. You were one of the first champions of Outside Child. <laughs> like, I respect your curation so much and what you stand for. Like, you oh can, you're, yes, you can use any of this for any platform that you think is appropriate. I trust your judgment. Thank you. Like, I can't believe you took the time to do this while walking the streets of so New York. Happy. Thank you. So happy to talk to you, Sarah. Always. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We will do it proper, closer to album release. Congrats on the big announcement, and I can't wait Thank to hear you. it. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Alison Russell will release her new record, The Returner, September 8th via Fantasy Records, and I can't thank her enough for that conversation. Next up on the Women in Media podcast, you're going to hear from one of my new clients, Debbie Travis. 
Thank you so much for listening. Hit the links, make sure you're subscribed, and I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.